You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. Hi, this is Pastor Chris from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota, and I'm excited to take a few minutes to share with you what I believe about Jesus preparing to come get his church from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So this is a pre-recording of the message for Sunday, August 16th, for those that can't make it, those who are sick, those at work, uh, etc. So River Rock Church is meeting outdoors in August. So check our website for the location information. Uh, go to riverrockchurch.com and we will share with you where we're having church. Uh, you can find out uh, more ways to watch or listen at riverrockchurch.com watch or riverrockchurch.com slash listen. So you can actually listen to the audio of this on Spotify, Google Play Music, iTunes, um, all these different ways. Just go to riverrockchurch.com slash listen if you have a prayer request that you'd like to share with us or praise. Uh, riverrockchurch.com slash pray. And if you could support this ministry so we can keep going, uh, riverrockchurch.com slash give. We've got a quick and easy way to give online. Otherwise, you can send your offering to PO Box 184 or drop it off in the little box on Sunday morning when you come to church. So, all right, preparing for Jesus to come get his church. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, we've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're currently on chapter 4, verse 13. If you'd like to hear past messages, you can go online and listen to past messages uh, from First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12 last week. So, all right, here's the passage. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves, and together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And these words are so encouraging. If you've lost somebody, if you are lonely, if you are sad, if you wonder what happens after you die, this is a great passage to tell you about the bodily resurrection, to tell you that as if you were to die today, or your loved one has died, as a Christ follower, they had believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, they were saved, a child of God, then they would go directly into the presence of Jesus. And then when on that perfect day, when Jesus decides to return, he will bring with him those people that are in his presence, those people who don't have a body. And as Jesus comes down, uh, their bodies will come up, the bodily resurrection, and they will get their glorified bodies. And that will be so exciting. And for those of us who are on the earth, uh, we will rise up and we will get our glorified bodies. And then we will go to be with Jesus in his Father's house that he has been preparing for us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I can't think of any more encouraging words than that. That is super exciting, and I'm excited to share it with you. So number one, Jesus comes down to get his bride, the church. Uh, Jesus 
uh, referred to the church as his bride. Uh, we might talk about that if we have time. But Jesus comes down to get his bride, the church. Jesus will come down from his father's house to get us. He has been preparing a place for us. You remember in John 14, 1, Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. So Jesus has been preparing a place for us. Jesus has space for us in his father's home. You know, the King James Version, uh, Jesus talks about mansions. And we'd sing, I've got a mansion over the hilltop. But really, uh, isn't it better to be in the home, in the residence with Jesus and the father than it would be to be out somewhere out there in our own mansion? So about being with Jesus and that's really exciting and that's what 1 Thessalonians 4 16 is talking about when Jesus comes to get us so Jesus is going to come down from his father's house and he is going to come get us and the day and the hour we do not know but that would be so exciting so the shout the word shout is the Greek word a military command like that a general gives his troops so Jesus will not come as a suffering Savior, but as a ruler of the earth, and he will come in person. It's Jesus who's coming back to get us. That is so exciting. As Jesus descends, he gives this commanding shout, and the last trumpet is blown, signaling the end of, which is not to be confused with the seventh or last trumpet of Revelation 11.15. And all this happens in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15.52. It says it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. That is so exciting. So um, many people... Uh, say, oh, the rapture's not in the Bible, and uh, how can you have the last trumpet sound twice? Well, the first trumpet is the last trumpet of the church age. Uh, the other trumpet that John wrote about is the last trumpet of uh, revelation of the um, tribulation, of the tribulation. So there's first the bodily resurrection for the believers who have already died, fallen asleep, and they've been with Jesus, and their dead bodies are joined with their spirits and made immortal. So, First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. So that is so exciting and encouraging, and we are to encourage each other with these words. The believers alive on earth will be caught, raptured together, and also receive our glorified bodies and taken to the Father's house to be with Jesus forever. Uh, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So First Thessalonians 4.17. So let's talk about this rapture isn't in the Bible. All right. I've been watching some videos of people that, uh, you know, say, well, the rapture is not in the Bible. Yes, the word rapture is not in your concordance. It's not in the Bible. Uh, the Trinity, the word Trinity is also not actually in the Bible. Um, so, but Ryrie uh, says rapture is a state or a experience of being carried away. The English word comes from a Latin word, which means to seize or snatch in relation to an ecstasy of spirit or the actual removal from one place to another. In other words, it means to be carried away in spirit or in body. The rapture of the church means the carrying away of the church from the earth to heaven. The Latin translation translation of this verse used the word rapturo. The Greek word translates, it translates as harpazo, which means to snatch or take away. 
Elsewhere, it is used to describe how the Spirit caught up Philip near Gaza and brought him to Caesarea in Acts 8.39, and to describe Paul's experience of being caught up into the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12.2-4. And this week, I read a great book. Actually, listened to the audiobook, and then I actually bought the book. Uh, Can We Still Believe in the Rapture by Ed Hinson and Mark Hitchcock. They made a good analysis of the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, and partial rapture theories, which are good to know. And they also clearly refuted that the rapture was the invention of Charles Darby in the 1800s with historical evidence showing people promoting the rapture concept throughout church history. You know, if you think about it too, it's much harder to find people promoting anything uh, before they had the printing press. So uh, people could have been talking about it all the time, but it wasn't like they could go down to the local Kinkos and make copies of it or now uh, publish an ebook uh, with what they were teaching. So, yeah, the 1800s, uh, the printing press was more common and uh, the Schofield Reference Bible was printed and uh, took up this idea of the rapture there. But um, again, in this book, they make a great case. Uh, for what the Bible says about the rapture and also historical evidence that other people were talking about the rapture before the 1800s. So, all right. You know, um, so I consider myself to be a premillennial, pre-tribulational believer. So, and for some reason, if I'm here and I see the tribulation has started, then I'm changing my position from pre-trib to mid-trib. And for some reason, if I see the tribulation happening and it's a three and a half year mark and the Antichrist starts going bad, then I guess I'm post-trib. So anyway, um, the thing is though, that uh, when we know that the wrath of God isn't being poured out in the church, when we see what could be happening during the seven year tribulation for those who have rejected Jesus, um, it's exciting to think about. And I would be, I guess, in the same camp as David Jeremiah, John MacArthur, Charles Stanley, Tony Evans, Jack Graham, Chuck Swindoll, Johnny Hunt, Ronnie Floyd, Skip Heitzig, Greg Laurie, and so many others that believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Some of my good best friends, uh, mid-trib, some people post-trib. Anyway, Uh, So we don't need to get hung up on it, but because I get to share this message, I'm sharing stuff from a pre-tribulational rapture view, a uh, classic uh, positional teaching uh, that is um, exciting. And it also reminds me of the hymn about there's going to be a meeting in the air. So uh, I thought maybe I'd sing that, but I don't have time. So, all right, so if Jesus comes to get us before the tribulation, that means we have seven years to be with him while the chaos and God's wrath pour out on the earth. So if he comes in the middle of the tribulation, mid-trib, that means we have three and a half years. So if he came at the end of the tribulation, uh, we would be here, and then we'd be up into heaven, and we'd be right back down with Jesus. So, anyway, for those left behind, the Bible says, For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. So, uh, terrible times for those people left on earth. Wonderful times for those people who have raptured up to be with Jesus. So, number two, there will be time for judgment and reward and celebration before we return to rule with Jesus on earth for the millennium. For a thousand years, Jesus will reign on earth and we will be with him with our glorified bodies. Uh, So exciting. Such encouraging words. Uh, This whole thing is called eschatology, and uh, you might want to start studying eschatology. 
I really like Millard Erickson's theology books. You might benefit to go out and buy yourself Millard Erickson's Introduction to Christian Theology. Uh, great book. I've met him personally and uh, appreciate him and uh, his ability to write clearly uh, on issues to help us understand different positions and uh, what the Bible says. All right. So uh, the period of time, uh, seven years, if you're pre-trib. Uh, during that period, there is time for all the Christians to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So that means that what we do today and what we're doing with our lives, Jesus is going to uh, analyze. Jesus is going to reward us for being faithful so when you give, when you serve, when you um, make life choices that affect you know, what you enjoy today because you're investing in eternity, investing in heaven, Jesus is going to, going to reward that. And that's so exciting to think about uh, how your eternal rewards are obviously going to last way longer than your rewards for today. So, I mean, rewards that you can take for eternity when you give, uh, rewards, uh, storing your treasure in heaven uh, for eternity, so awesome. So uh, the Bible often talks about judgment. So the unbelievers will be judged for uh, what they've done in this life um, to merit their salvation. The Christians will be judged for what we have done um, since we got saved to serve the Lord Jesus. It's appointed for man to die once and face judgment. You know, Romans 14.10 says, So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down at another believer? Remember, we all stand we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So to remember that, to remember that we're going to give an account of our lives before Jesus and we'll be rewarded for doing the good things. You know, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So really think about what you're building everything on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So you got saved and you're building everything on Jesus' foundation. And then what are you doing that uh, matters for eternity? What kind of uh, things are you investing your life in? I mean, are the things that you're doing, are they just temporal? Are they for convenience? Are they for comfort? Uh, or do they have the eternal value? You can build friendships. Uh, you can even own sports teams. But wouldn't it be more important to develop relationships and disciple people and maybe build churches and Christian schools and fund orphanages and all sorts of things? I mean, you can use sports as a bridge, as an avenue, as a vehicle to share Christ but uh, Jesus is the one who's going to decide if that was valuable or if it's going to burn up like wood, hay, or stubble. So, all right, after the judgment, then uh, it's followed by the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, and if you're new to eschatology or church, uh, I might be confusing you, but look it up. So, you can search these terms. You can search rapture. You can search rapture. Uh, uh, millennium, you can search marriage supper of the lamb, uh, you can search judgments, uh, all at uh, gotquestions.org, a uh, site. I don't agree with everything on there, but I do like a lot of what they have. Uh, and you can listen to it, watch the video, uh, read the articles. Often they give you uh, links to scripture. Uh, it's a great thing. Uh, gotquestions.org. I think there's actually an app for your Android and iPhone also. 
All right, followed by the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus, and uh, so Jesus is the groom, and the bride is the church. The church. If you receive Christ, you are part of the church. Uh, Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words that come from God. So to be invited to that celebration, to be invited to that party, to be clothed in white, that would be so awesome to be part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, you can see Jesus talking about uh, Jesus' position as the groom and the church as the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5.22. says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, and said she will be holy and without fault. So Jesus gave up his life for the church. Jesus waits for the celebration, the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church. So when we look at this, we want to see the difference between the rapture and the second coming, that they're two different events. So uh, two, or you could say there are two stages of the same event, but Jesus returns. So at the rapture, the first event, Jesus will descend in the air and the church will be caught up to meet him. The church will be taken up to meet the Lord in heaven, raptured. There will be seven years of tribulation followed by the second coming. The rapture is sudden and unannounced. Everyone will know about the second coming, and the whole world will see it. So Matthew 24, 29 talks about that, the second coming. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So there's a difference between uh, the rapture and the second coming. I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But um, So the time. We don't really know when Jesus is going to return. Uh, we don't know, uh, but we always must be ready. We must be thinking about it. We must be excited about it. We must be thinking today the Lord could return. My grandpa always used to say, uh, when we'd say, he'd say something, well, we want to go fishing on Tuesday? Uh, sure, we'll go fishing on Tuesday. And he'll say, well, if the Lord tarries, we'll go fishing on Tuesday. Which meant that if the Lord doesn't return, then we can go fishing on Tuesday. Matthew 24, 42. Uh, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Uh, Jesus told many things about his future coming, and we need to be uh, remembering that Jesus could return at any time. There's no part of Bible prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for Jesus to return. The door is wide open, so let us be excited about that. That's actually referred to as the imminent return of Christ. So Paul's use 
of the phrase, we who are alive and remain, could suggest that Paul believed Jesus could return in his lifetime. Uh, didn't return in his lifetime. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, and he's uh, waiting for more people to get saved. But someday, on the perfect day, Jesus will return and get his church, which is so exciting for the believers who are ready to go be with Jesus. And it's very, very scary for those people that are rejecting Jesus, have not received them as, his Lord, as their Lord and Savior, and will not be invited to that rapture, not be invited to that marriage supper of the Lamb, because they will be here on earth during the tribulation. So number three, be encouraged through hard times and keep serving Jesus as you await his return. So be encouraged. These words are not meant to divide us or get us to fight in theological battles or uh, start new denominations. These words are meant to encourage us through hard times, to encourage us when people die, to encourage us as we get closer and closer to dying ourselves, as we are persecuted, as we go through life and some things don't turn out the way that we had hoped. We need to be encouraged through hard times and we need to keep serving Jesus as we await his return. As we await his return, we need to remember Jesus could return at any time. And if he doesn't return in our lifetime, it's still going to be okay because we will still be invited to that meeting in the air. We'll still have that awesome experience together that is on the Christian's calendar and on Jesus' agenda. So therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us the answer to what is the meaning of life, the answer to what happens when we die, the answer to um, what's eternity going to be like. Uh, the best thing about eternity, uh, though not everything that uh, will be in the future is made known, is that we're going to be with Jesus forever. And that's the best part about eternity. You know, heaven is where Jesus is. So yes, we'll be in heaven and we'll be wherever Jesus is. We'll be doing whatever Jesus got, got for us to do. And I can't even begin to imagine how exciting that is. Randy Alcorn wrote a book about heaven and he writes some other stuff too where he uh, tries to uh, speculate uh, many things about heaven. And I find that book encouraging also. So we need to spread the word. We need to tell other people. If we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we are going to uh, spend eternity with Jesus, uh, we need to be telling other people about that too. We need to be telling other people about eternal life. Eternal life begins when we trust Christ and join God's family. No matter what pain or trial we face in this life, we know it is not our final experience. Eventually we will live with Christ forever. As we share these words of encouragement with others, we ourselves are built up in our faith. So receiving Jesus is acknowledging that Jesus came to earth, that he lived among us, taught, teaching us how to live, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, that he was seen by like 500 others, that he... Uh, ascended into heaven uh, and promised that he would return. So then he sent the Holy Spirit to comfort and equip and to teach us how to live. And he's working in our lives today and he will return. But uh, believing in Jesus is something that we need to do in a great way to acknowledge our belief in Jesus is by praying. Praying is talking to God. And I like to lead people into prayer. It's not the prayer that saves them, but the acknowledgement of their belief in Christ, which is so important. Another way to acknowledge your faith is through baptism. But you could pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Please come into my life and forgive me and save me. 
I acknowledge that you died on the cross and rose again. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Or something like that. Something to indicate your belief. Something to indicate and acknowledge that you want to follow Jesus. So when I did that, I received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit started working in my life. Helped me to understand scripture. I got a good Bible and started reading through it. And someone came alongside of me. Helped me to understand it. Uh, we've got a New Believers New Testament that makes it easy for you. I can give you lots of resources that you can watch or listen or read. Anyway, spread the word. So, <clears throat> 1 John 2, 28. It says, and now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. That is so huge. We want, as a church, as River Rock Church, we want to prepare people to stand before Jesus with confidence and assurance, knowing that they're saved and knowing that the things that they've been doing in this life are reward-worthy. So, verse 29, since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Uh, verse, or chapter 3, verse 1, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. So such encouragement in those verses there. So um, if you want to do more to bring back Jesus quicker, then spread the gospel throughout the world. Uh, Matthew 24, 14 says the gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom or this good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the, throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. So, you know, uh, Dwight L. Moody used to say, I never preach a sermon without thinking that possibly the Lord may come before I preach another. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, the distinguished British clergyman said, I never begin my work in the morning without thinking that perhaps God may interrupt my work and begin his own. I am not looking for death, but I am looking for him. And that's the Christian, the way, that's the way a Christian should live his life in the constant, constant anticipation of the return of Christ. So um, Norman Geisler writes, If one believes his time is limited and Christ may come at any moment, then he will have more of a sense of urgency about evangelism. This, of course, is not to say that there is no sense of urgency in the other views for everyone is going to die and some will die at any moment. But there is a far greater sense of urgency if one believes it could be our last opportunity to reach anyone at any moment. It is no coincidence that many of the modern missionary movements, William Carey, David Livingston, and Adoram Judson, and evangelistic efforts, Billy Sunday, D.L. Moody, and Billy Graham, were headed by pre-millennialists. So, Millennium, another thing that we can talk about it another day, but I am out of time. But I'm so glad that you've taken time to uh, watch this. I hope that these words have been encouraging to you and that you would share them with others to encourage people with these words. There will be a day when Jesus comes back and makes all things right. There will be a day when Jesus takes us and these bodies that we have and makes them perfect and prepared for heaven. So, uh, we are guaranteed... Uh, through Christ, a bodily resurrection in eternity in his presence. And that is so exciting. I can't think of any word more exciting than that. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these watchers. I thank you that you have given us hope and the answer to life after death. I pray that you would give jobs to the jobless, that you would help those who are depressed. Uh, Lord, I pray for all these people who are sinking into depression and alcoholism and 
overeating and all the other things that come with this COVID stay-at-home thing. I pray that you would make this virus go away. I pray that you would um, help us to be more effective in spreading the gospel around the world. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would continue to teach us and guide us and help us to be successful, Lord. I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.